It is your money. Happy to have you with us today. My name is Susie Jones, keeping the train on the tracks. With us, as always, Bruce Helmer and Peg Webb, and reminding you right out of the gates, if you have a question for us for the next, let's just say, 50 minutes or so, it's 651-461-9226. Bruce Helmer is the founder and senior vice president of Wealth Enhancement, and also Peg Webb joining us, senior vice president and financial advisor. I might have messed your titles up there. Sorry, guys, but happy to have you with us again, and we've got a lot to talk about. Good morning, Susie. Good morning, Bruce. Hello, Peg. Hello, Susie Jones. And I don't care what you call me, Susie. I've answered to a lot worse than that. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Hey, um, we do have what I think, Peg and Susie, is a a pretty important topic today. But, Peg, before we jump into the topic, um, I just wanted to mention again, we did this a little bit last week, but I still have this perception that most people – have the perception that the economy is gloom and doom, and I keep seeing all this evidence that that's just not the case. The market is 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 made up a lot of the losses that we suffered last year. Uh, again, consumer spending over the holiday season has been great. Fourth quarter corporate earnings look good. I just heard on the news that uh, mortgage rates are coming down to their lowest rate in, in many months. So there's a lot of good economic news, and I think a lot of reasons for optimism as we uh, go into 2024. And I just wanted to mention that because I think so so often the news that we hear is always negative and there's nothing, uh, and they don't report positive. And there's a lot of positive things going on economically. Um, but our topic today is a potentially uh, threatening or negative topic to the economy. And Peg, again, before we dive into it, we're gonna talk today about housing options for seniors. Many, for many older Americans, there's a housing crisis that they can't find accessible, affordable housing as they, as they go into their senior years. And Peg, on some level, again, because of uh, economic information that we have access to, I'm from a distance aware of this situation, but I have to confess it's not one that I run into in my practice with my clients. So I'm aware of it, and I think it impacts a lot of people. I haven't had a lot of personal experience about uh, about with it, but I think it's important enough that we do talk about it, and I think it does probably potentially impact a lot of our listeners. Peg? <clears throat> Absolutely, Bruce. Uh, thank you. Uh, the the um, housing crisis, if you will, we normally would relate that to uh, not necessarily seniors. But today, I actually like this topic in that we're going to define some things. We're going to give you some statistics. And then we're actually going to share some real client um, case studies that we've done when it comes to seniors and housing and, and making that big transition, maybe from the two-story house to uh, a one level, maybe it is another house, maybe it is in some other type of housing. But before we start, I personally wanted to know what the internet would say, uh, what defines a senior, because the topic today was housing options for seniors, and Bruce and I don't write these topics, so I'm saying, well, who are they defining as a senior anyway? Well, I'm kind of shocked, but in the United States, it's 62 or older. 
or a lot of people related to 65 because that's the Medicare, the health system um, that we can go on. But then statistically, the census says says that there's 55 million people that are over 65. We've been hearing about this forever because in our business, you know, the people that work with, yes, we work with a lot of younger people trying to uh, save money, but the majority of people, you know, are in their 50s getting ready for retirement, you know, all the way through their uh, 90s. And um, the average person right now in the U.S. is 61 years old, so average. So you know there's a lot of people out there that are in that category. I thought it was the cutest thing because my client the other day said, asked me if I was a TikTok person. I'm actually not. I'm not on TikTok. But they had to tell me that there's a term out there that's called grand fluencers, like They're just so excited that they get to give their opinion on TikTok, which I thought was cute. But then when we talk about senior housing, um, all it is 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 residents that accommodate, um, you know, older people. And it can be anywhere from apartment buildings to a place where you get round-the-clock care. So I wanted to give some of those definitions, Bruce, before we started. Bruce? Yeah, I'm glad you did that because, frankly, I wouldn't have known, you know, what uh, what we think of as a senior. Um, I don't think of myself as a senior, and I'm 64, but I guess, you know, 62 and older by that definition, I am a senior. And I should have known better, Peg, because <laughs> not not to get too far afield here, but I played in a, a charity uh, golf tournament last summer, and when they gave the rules beforehand, they did say that, if you're 62 and older, you got to tee up from a shorter, the shorter tees, which I took advantage of and had a couple of drives that my team used, which normally wouldn't happen if I'm teeing off where I used to tee off. So I, I took I took advantage of my uh, my seniorship when it came to a uh, to a golf tournament. But I, I I don't think of myself, and I suspect a lot of people that are over 62 but not yet 65 don't think of themselves as seniors. So I'm glad you did that definition. And, and I want to go back again, Peg, to my lack of experience on the topic. What, what I've had experience with clients, and again, it, it, it revolves around their housing opportunities, but, it, but it's not going to dig into some of the things that we're going to dig into in our outline. A lot of people, and I know you see this too, and you mentioned it you know, in your comments, want to downsize, and I'm putting downsize in in air quotes that you can't see. Downsize might mean a smaller single-family home, a condo, an apartment, whatever, but a lot of times it's so they don't have to take care, you know, mow the grass anymore, shovel the driveway, single level, they don't want to deal with stairs anymore. And they find out that to do this downsize, that the smaller property maybe costs as much as their big two-story single-family home that they sell, and it's not downsizing as much as it's right-sizing. In other words, they think they're going to sell their house, buy a new place, and have a bunch of leftover cash that they can spend on retirement, and most of the time, that's not reality. So that is an issue, and I have seen that one a lot, but a lot of the things that we're about to talk about, um, I have less experience on. Peg? Uh, um, I think we hear in the news and we hear uh, in our practice that housing affordability remains kind of in crisis mode, right? And the 08-09 timeframe, 
uh, halted a lot of developers from developing. And part of the reason there is, you know, where would they get the funding? Like the investors were afraid back then. You know, there is an investment called a real estate investment trust where they a lot of times rely on us as consumers and investors to put money in so that they can go build these buildings. So there was just like anything else during that kind of crisis mode slowed everything down. Um, it was nice that interest rates were lower, but now they're high. So now they're seeing that they're just afraid that the the crisis for seniors with interest rates going up too um, kind of hurts the developers in that the, the cost of building. So as the population ages, um, we're not prepared. Really, the United States is not prepared for the growing number of seniors that are out there. And there's some um, help out there, too. Uh, federal housing assist assistance, like Section 8, uh, you can um, get more money. There's millions of people that would like to be able to sell their house or they'd like to be able to rent. And let's just bring it up right now. Rent has skyrocketed. So I've had a couple clients where they sold their home and they like the prices recently. And then they're just going to rent in one of the buildings. It has nothing to do with assisted living. It has, you know, um, multiple different ages in it. And uh, the reason they sold their house was because they don't want that house sale to be a burden on their children. And they want to be around not only people their age, but people that are of all ages. So um, people feel that, um, that they have lots of choices now, but it's so hard. And that's where I feel like you and I, Bruce, come in. It's so hard for them emotionally, but yet financially uh, give them the conviction that they can go and do something else when it comes to housing. Because a lot of these people, a lot of these clients have lived in their place 30 plus years. Bruce? Yeah, and, and again, you just hit on a really key thing, Peg. And I have seen, again, I have seen this quite a bit. Um, there is an emotional attachment to the, to the home that you raised your family um, your children, the memories, um, the sentimental value, that is a hard thing. To, and even though they may understand, either for practicality reasons or economic reasons or both, they do need to make a change. It is a very, very difficult thing to do. Hey, Peg, I know there's a lot more stuff you want to get to on the outline, but I just want to throw it out there to listeners. If, if you've had some experience with this, if you're a senior that's either struggled with housing or you know someone that has or if you're someone that made a successful transition and you want to share what you did, um, we'll have plenty of time to get listeners involved today. 651-461-9226, 651-461-9226, texts and or calls. Uh, we'll, we want your participation today with people that have uh, practical experience with this issue. Peg? Yeah, so there are some solutions out there. I thought we would give listeners um, a, a list of some of the things that we feel like are accessible. Are they affordable? I don't know, but what, you know, there's other things like um, you know, other than renting. So, a lot of terms out there: independent living, assisted living, memory care, skilled nursing, aging in place. That's the one where you want to stay in your home. 
and senior housing. Well, many people, uh, when they start thinking about this, and we, we uh, have a lot of couples that we coach. And, you know, it always, Bruce, is that one wants to make the change, but the other one doesn't. And so that can be very difficult when you're trying to make that decision uh, later in life. Um, you know, some of the things that people are, are the reason that there isn't a lot of housing is, is in our, um, our society is aware of that we need a lot more, but ways that they're trying to get more uh, built is they're rezoning some of these greater density places. Now, you and I, have seen apartments going up on every corner. I mean, in Minneapolis, it's everywhere. Every city I go, there's just buildings being built. And a lot of people don't know well, who's going to move in all those places. Well, it could be all ages. It could be assisted living. It could be other things. So lots of communities are attempting to reduce this housing shortage, and they can't do it fast enough. Um, many suburban places, and you can see in big metropolitan areas like um, Minneapolis, which are not that big compared to some of the cities, uh, but they take like one-acre lots, and now they're building further outside the city, good or bad. And, um, and then also, if you're in a home and you're all by yourself, which is sometimes the case, uh, you know, teaming up with somebody like a friend or something like that. This is funny because years ago, and I'm talking about 10 years ago, my friends and I, all my girlfriends, we were sitting um, having dinner one night and we made a pack that we would do this pod thing. The pod thing is just like small portable homes and then you've got the kitchen, but you've got your own little quarters around and we called it this pod. And we kind of pinky swear that we would all get together when we're older. Now we're assuming <laughs> we're assuming that our husbands go first, which maybe um, statistically it's still the thing. But um, I thought that was kind of funny. But we we said we wanted to live together and take care of each other, which I thought was kind of cute, Bruce. Um, you know, you have more foresight than I, than I do because uh, I haven't thought of that part of my planning yet, and I am a planner, although. You're, you're, you are definitely the definitive planner. Um, so it's probably something I need to start thinking about for myself um, and, and, and I can gain from the experiences that I, that I get through my clients and the things that you know they end up doing. And I am learning even as we speak. Peg, again, I know I'm deviating from the outline and there's a lot more stuff in there, but I, again, where, where, I, where I've had experience with what we're talking about is I, I have had more clients in recent years make the decision to, to sell the single-family home and not buy something else, and they either rent or, or they buy something. Are you familiar or do you have clients going into co-ops? And do you understand do. that? Is, is that something that we can talk about, listeners, the idea of a co-op? Because I'm hearing that term more and more. Well, you know what's interesting, Bruce, is co-ops have been in existence for a very long time on the East Coast, West Coast. The Midwest is a little slower to um, incorporate co-ops, but um, co-ops are, are it's cooperative housing. And it's people who kind of want to voluntarily uh, become a member in a housing building. And you're, it's, it's almost kind of like an investment. You are 
granted shares of this co-op. So it's not like going and renting in a place where you have no ownership, you just pay your monthly and you have no obligation, um, good or bad, of how that apartment building is doing. Co-ops are actually legal entities. And what they do is they pool the members' resources um, and they share in the expenses. And a lot of the, um, well, I shouldn't say a lot, but a, a few of the people that then reside in these co-ops uh, no different than some kind of a other um, partnership that you're in. You're actually having the role of the president and the secretary. And so it's, it, co-op just means you're cooperatively living with people, but yet you have a share in the building, uh, which is kind of interesting. So, yes, we don't have a lot of those in the metro in Minnesota yet, but there's more coming. And like I said, on the coast, it's been utilized for years. We're just slower to kind of incorporate that type of housing. Bruce? Uh, yeah, listen, if listeners, if you joined us late, we're talking about housing shortages, uh, housing crisis, if you will, for seniors. And then we're talking about possible solutions to this issue. And Peg, I'm going to bring one up and let you uh, run with it a little bit. I say this out loud, and I know some people have negative connotation as soon as I say nursing home. Nobody wants to go to a nursing home. Nobody thinks they need to go to a nursing home. Nobody thinks they're going to be happy in a nursing home. But as we look at this increasing health situation, health crisis, health shortage for seniors, nursing home is likely going to be a logical solution for a lot of people. Yeah, um, fortunately, we're living longer. Unfortunately, we're living longer, right? Because the, um, the this would be the ultimate place or maybe the last place you go is in a nursing home. Uh, and the reason people go is because their family can't take care of you anymore. And there's full-time health care at these facilities. Now, there, a huge disadvantage is the thousands of dollars a month that you need to pay, provided that you were a saver, to be able to be in these facilities. And I'm talking about 10 to 12,000, this is my experience now, because I am sending the checks to the family of 10 to 12,000 a month to have their loved one in these places. So the, the costs of those have just skyrocketed. Now, we have Medicare, we have Medicaid, you know, I don't think any of the listeners out there really want to hear about Medicaid because that means you're running out of money. Um, there's some question whether the facilities are of great quality. And so the families are now I'm talking about as a financial advisor, the families are just, you know, not educated about how they actually work. And then there's they're wanting the best for their, you know, parents or their grandparents. And so uh, we just encourage people to just go visit lots of different facilities, become familiar with, you know, the, the residents that might be there. Um, and then the person who, who needs to move there, who's not doing well, uh, they also, you know, they're used to having private spaces and now they might have to have a roommate, et cetera. So um, lots of Lots there, but hopefully listeners, when we talk about preparing for that one day, you're trying to uh, see 
you're going out a few years and making a, a, a decision on how am I going to take care of myself for the rest of my life? Bruce? Yeah, and Peg I, and Susie, I, I know we're coming up to the end of our time for the first half, but maybe, Peg, when we come back, we can talk a little bit about some of the alternatives to uh, a nursing home if that's just not something you think you're ever going to want to do. There still are some alternatives, and we'll kind of tie a bow around the, the subject, and we'll get listeners in, uh, involved. And again, Susie and listeners would love to hear personal experiences from people if they have them, positively and or negatively. But again, our full, and in the second half, we'll take any and all financial questions also. It does not have to be only on this topic. But again, we're talking about housing options for seniors and the shortage of them and uh, what we can do about it. Susie? All right, very good. You are listening to Your Money, a wealth enhancement group. Bruce Helmer, Peg Webb, and the number to call for the next half hour is 651-461-9226. You can also text that line as well if you have a question. And we do have questions coming in, so we'll get to those after the break. I'll say that number one more time for you here. If you're listening at home and you have a loved one or you yourself are thinking about this, this is a tough decision. 651 461-9226. We're back after this. It is your money. I'm Susie Jones along with Bruce Helmer and Peg Webb, and we are taking your calls at 651-461-9226 as we continue to talk about housing options for seniors. Again, 651-461-9226. You can call that line. You can also text your questions. All right, Bruce. All right, Peg. Take it away for the second half. Thank you, Susie Jones. So, Peg, again, as Susie mentioned, we've been talking about uh, housing shortages and, and uh, options for senior housing, and we talked about a bunch of different things, what, you know, what the problem is and why there's a problem, and then we tried to offer some solutions to the problem. And the last thing we talked about before we went to break was the, the use of and the reality of that for many people, the answer is ultimately going to be possibly a nursing home. But then also we said that, you know, we know that for a lot of people, that is absolutely a last resort and they don't want to be in a nursing home. What are some of the other options to that? For example, you know, what comes to mind for me is assisted living. Yes. Uh, So full disclosure for listeners, uh, Bruce and I and the financial advisors at Wealth Enhancement Group, we kind of have the luxury of people who come to us have some resources, right? So we've been working with them. We've been creating a retirement strategy. We've been uh, creating income for the rest of their life. Top of mind is always longer term. You know, what's going to happen if your health fails and you no longer get to live in your, um, in your home. So, you know, there's, we're, 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 talking about with these clients with senior kind of luxury senior housing, but it doesn't have to be luxury. It can be assisted living. And I've I've actually witnessed these places and they're beautiful where they have, you can, you can go live there and you're a okay health wise, but they have the, the process or the, the, the next step, the next step being assisted living where then you can uh, count on them for some daily activity help, that kind of thing. But you don't need to be in a nursing home. And then ultimately, they also have 
the nursing home. So people like that progression type of a place because that way you don't have to move and then move and then move. I wanted to bring up also, you know, we walk through long-term care insurance with our clients. Uh, Not all of them buy it. Absolutely not. But we believe that we should educate our clients on what is long-term care insurance. Does that actually fit in your financial plan? And then I ultimately, and a lot of the advisors at Enhancement Group, we ultimately let the client make that decision because that's a choice no different than any other insurance. We insure our house. We insure our boat. We insure everything, our lives. You know, um, it's it's another type of insurance. The other thing I wanted to bring up is um, reverse mortgages. I don't want to not bring it up. Um, Wealth Enhancement Group does not necessarily uh, encourage reverse mortgages. We actually encourage you to go learn about them, and we try to coach clients on what they are. But basically, if you have your house paid off, you can go borrow you know, equity in your home. We can all go get a home equity loan and get that equity out. The negative is, though, I have to make a payment paying my equity back to the bank. In this case, the bank actually sends you a check. You're not writing them a check so that you can use the equity in your home, you know, to either stay in your home. Normally, that's a reason why people would do it. Um, The bank normally gives 60% of your appraised value. And actually, you have some flexibility. You could take it monthly or some people take lump sums on these reverse mortgages. But um, just be have caution because they, the banks don't do it for free. So you have to understand what the fees are and that kind of thing. But it is a, a, a financial tool that can help somebody. Um, and just so you're aware of that, that is still out there uh, as a resource. Bruce? Peg, I'm really glad that you brought up long-term care insurance and reverse mortgages. Uh, and as you said, not everybody should buy long-term care insurance. And I'm quoting you now, but everybody should do long-term care planning. So if you choose not to insure that risk, what is your plan for dealing with these issues in the future? Everybody needs to do that, but not everybody needs or should buy long-term care insurance. I'm, I'm also glad you brought up reverse mortgages. And I know, you know the regulatory bodies don't like us to talk about mortgages. I think because what they don't want us doing is recommending that somebody take out a mortgage, whether it's a reverse mortgage or any kind of mortgage, and telling them to take equity or take assets out of their home and invest that with us. We would never do that, and that's not what we're talking about. As you said, Peg, we're talking about finding a way to stay in your home or finding a way to take an asset on your balance sheet. Anybody that, that does a balance sheet, whether your bank does it, whether you do it, whether your financial advisor does it, you obviously include your home that you own on a balance sheet. But normally that asset is not an income-producing asset. With a reverse mortgage, you can actually take that asset and have it create income, and it's tax-free income. But yes, there's a cost, and again, it's not something that everybody should do. It's not something everybody can do, but it's another potential strategy available to you And as financial advisors, we are remiss if we don't educate our clients about that possibility. So, Peg, 
I'm really glad you brought up those two things. I would have missed them. Good on you. Anything else you want to make sure that you hit or talk about? Otherwise, uh, let's turn it over to Susie and let listeners uh, get involved. All right, six Let's five. Let's go to Susie. All right, thanks, Peg. Six five one four six one nine two two six. We do have text questions. This is one that a lot of us are with older parents are looking at. What happens in an assisted living situation if a person runs out of money after ten years? That, then what happens? So, Peg, uh, and that's a great question. You kind of alluded to this earlier, but that didn't go into any depth. You mentioned. Medicaid, or sometimes it's known as medical assistance. This is different than Medicare, and that's what the texter, I think, really is asking about. Peg? Yeah, I, um, when, I, when you were reading the question, I got a little bit, you know, sad about it because it actually happened to people where you did have enough money to live in a place in, in an assisted living you actually have friends there, um, you know, your family is content because you're there, but unfortunately this happens quite often, is that you are then forced to move. And you're forced to move if the government doesn't have any beds or rooms for what is defined as Medicaid, meaning that now you're on the government assistance versus paying on your own. and. Um, there's a um, there's a statistic out there that even when it comes to Medicaid, they don't have enough beds for all these people because we're all getting older and uh, modern medicine is helping us live longer. And uh, and so that is what I would call kind of a crisis, meaning uh, for housing. But then with the long term care, and I'm not talking about long term care insurance now. With long-term care, there's more home health care people that will come to your home and help you versus you having to pay really high costs for somebody to be um, in a facility. Bruce? Yeah. Um, if, you, if you are in the unfortunate situation where you run out of money, and again, let's be honest, this is a reality for many, many people. Um, you're not going to get thrown in the street. You're not going to, you know, die in a gutter. You will be taken care of, but you're going to lose a lot of control on the where the care occurs or the quality of the care. And, and, and again, you have to there, you have to pass certain, uh, uh, jump through certain hoops to prove that you don't have the economic wherewithal to assist in paying for your own care anymore. Then you go on medical assistance or Medicaid, and it's certainly not a desirable result. But the good news is, is that nobody's going to suffer or be thrown out of a facility just because they can't pay for it. They will be cared for. That's why the, the federal program was created. That's why it exists. It's not going to go away. It's going to be there. But that raises peg a whole other kettle of fish of issues in terms of Medicare, Social Security, Medicaid, these social programs for people and how we can to pay for them as a country with the aging of America, but that's probably another uh, a discussion for another day. Susie? 651 if you have a question for Bruce or for Peg. Uh, we're talking about 
options for seniors when it comes to housing, and it is an issue, as you're hearing, uh, about a lack of, uh, there are not enough of them. This texture writes today, uh, my plan is to go into 55-plus co-op. The buy-in is in the $300,000 range. When I die and my children are responsible for coordinating the sale, um, let's see, on the money inheritance received from the sale. They kind of want to know about how how it will work for them when this person dies. Hey, Peg, um, thank you, Susie. That's also a great text. Uh, Peg, maybe we want to take that text and expand a little bit. Uh, I just realized the texters uh, opened up another issue that we haven't really talked about. So we've been talking about um, options for senior housing. We've been talking about the cost, the increasing cost, and so on. But we haven't really talked about legacy planning and what this is going to do to future generations, what this cost is going to do, and how that works. Maybe we want to expand and talk a little bit about strategic planning to be able to pay for your housing and still hopefully leave some sort of legacy for children or grandchildren or your favorite charity or church or whatever is near and dear to your heart. Yeah, the one example that I gave in the first half of the show is whereby some clients are selling their house, investing that cash, and then creating an income to pay rent so that that is very simplistic then from a legacy standpoint. When it comes to a co-op, I actually have real-life experience here, too, because I've had clients move into co-ops, and I've actually had both clients pass away. And with a co-op situation, um, clients actually bring us the package as well, because you have a lot of options. In this case, you put down 300000 but a lot of times they'll give you different amounts that you can choose from, and then there's an interest rate for the money that you actually um, put down. And in this case, again, it's 300,000. The more you put down, the less your monthly will be. But when you pass away, believe it or not, currently, there is a long list of people that want to move into that co-op. And I'm talking about the Midwest here now, again, because we don't have a lot of them. And so what happens is is they the, the co-op uh, will then start calling the people on the waiting list. And in this case, the client was able to, um, the kids' clients were able to get that cash quite quickly because there was somebody else that wanted to um, in, invest. It is actually an investment. So the value that the client had put down actually had increased over time. So the kids actually gained uh, from uh, that money that their parents had put into that co-op. So that's how that works. Um, was there something else, Bruce, that you wanted me to cover? Well, not necessarily, but, um, you can, I mean, you answered that question really, really well, and I don't have anything to add. But, but again, what, what is the subsidiary issue on, on this cost of senior housing and one that certainly impacts people and the decisions they make about their housing to the extent that they can control that is to have money left when they leave this world to leave money to loved ones. For a lot of our clients, and I assume a lot of listeners, that's a high priority. Now, I know not for everybody. Some people say, look, my kids are doing great. They're making more money than I ever made. They don't need my help. They don't want my help. I want to spend my last dollar the day I take my last breath. But for a lot of people, this this issue of 
of housing costs, along with all the costs of living that seniors have, is a big deal because of their desire to try to leave a legacy. And I'm just wondering if there's any other thoughts or ideas that you had with regard to legacy planning and as it pertains to not just housing costs, but living costs in general. Well, um, no one has brought this up, and I know that we uh, have additional text there, but the question that I get a lot is, can I give my money away so that I don't have to pay or use my children's inheritance if I end up in a nursing home? So I might as well just talk about that now because I'm sure there's listeners out there wondering, my neighbor gave their money away or they heard the story that someone gave their money away and now the government is paying. Well, um, when clients ask me of that, I um, refer them to what's called an elder law attorney. And an elder law attorney will look at your assets, give you recommendations within the law. Now, um, some people listening today will not like that the, fa the fact that there is still a law that you can give your money away and go on government assistance, but there's a lot of rules. You cannot give money away within five years of your Medicaid, you got a Medicaid look back period. So um, we just coach clients and, and make them familiar with what their choices are, but you truly have to go hire an attorney to walk through that situation and see if um, that's something you want to do. And then ethically, maybe that's the word I'll use. People are, there's, I've got people that are just adamant that that shouldn't even be possible. And then there's people uh, that want to take advantage of whatever current laws are uh, something that you can take advantage of, Bruce. Yeah, and I'll just, uh, and I'll throw it back to Susie in a second, but I'll just add to that, Peg. And I'm, again, I didn't know for sure what you were going to say when I posed the question, but I like where you went. I would tell you that, and, and speaking from personal experience as well as with clients that give to children, I don't, and I understand that ethical dilemma versus legal opportunity, but I would tell you that all the clients that I have that are doing gifting, that's not their motivation to quote unquote hide assets. They're doing it, and the reason I do it now is the, to enjoy the gift. You can leave money to loved ones after you leave this world and you get absolutely no enjoyment out of it because you're not, you're gone, you've passed away. So to be able to help loved ones and to see the benefit of the gift is highly motivating for a lot of my clients and for myself. And, uh, and I, you know, again, my kids have done great. They're launched, they're self-sufficient. They don't ask me for anything, but I like to do little things it's the holiday time of the season. There might be a little uh, cash in their Christmas envelope because it makes dad happy. That's, and that's the, true for a lot of people. But, but again, as you said, Peg, that gift, whatever the motivation, if you ever want to apply for medical assistance, they will look back uh, five years, and people need to understand that. Yeah, I know you, we've got a lot more text. Yeah, 651-461-9226. The one text texture did wonder about is there a tax advantage to a co-op over a condo and i wonder if either of you can address that one wow um so peg you talked and, and you uh, you talked about co-ops you talked about the popularity on the coast and it's it's a it's a phenomenon 
that's just kind of getting to our part of the country. And then I don't know, you know, from a tax standpoint personally, co-op versus condo. Again, they're both. Um, well, the 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 condo, you you don't own anything, right? You're just renting. Co-op, there's actually some ownership, but I don't know how the how the taxes would work for each. Well, I think, Bruce, you can own a condo as well. So I'm not quite sure if the condo is being financed yeah, right. or That's, you. Yeah. yeah. So, th- and sometimes it's easier for me to answer because you're talking and I'm going, oh, but you can buy a condo, right? So I'm not sure if they're talking about financing a condo and then financing the co-op. Okay. What I can tell you is when I see the co-op kits, because they come and it looks like a prospectus. It's a really thick book. And you have to understand it. And they have workshops and seminars to help you understand the co-op. What I would say is I've just witnessed that the interest rates, because it's a co-op thing and there's a company there that's involved in that built the building building and all that, that the interest rates are lower than the the going rate, if you will. With a condo, well, in the, what people like about the co-op is it's the best of both worlds, right? You can put some money down and you can pay a monthly, um, you can pay a monthly kind of like a rent. But then when it comes to buying a condo, if you take all the cash out of your bank and you buy this condo, then you're not going to make money on that money. You might in that the condo would go up in value for the legacy of your children. If you take a regular mortgage, then it's going to follow all the mortgage rules, right? And then you may be a standard uh, filer, and then you don't get to deduct any interest. You, um, if you do itemize, you may be able to deduct, deduct some of the interest. So, Bruce, what I would say is you really got to do side-by-side comparisons and see what the better deal is and, and what the flexibility might be in both of them as well. Yeah, and uh, Susie, I know we're almost out of time and probably can't squeeze in another question, so I want to close with this thought. Peg, you're right, you can buy a condo, I misspoke, but a lot of my clients I have found, again, in recent years, are selling a home and then renting, and I used to be against that because of the idea of you, you gain something from your rent, that money's just going out the door, and it never comes back. And I thought that was not economically efficient. But for a lot of seniors to have that infusion of capital that they can use for lifestyle and to live on and the relatively low cost of the rent by comparison, for some people that is a viable strategy where I used to not buy into that. And, Susie, I know we're about out of time. We are, unfortunately, and there were other questions we didn't get to. So if you were one of those people and you want to jump in and reach out to Wealth Enhancement directly, you can email a question at yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. Again, that's yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. At any time, you can call one eight 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 six advice and get your questions answered there as well. Make it a great week. It is your money.